I opened my fridge this morning to get out some chili. In my mind, I thought the chili would be fresh, but when I pulled it out of the refrigerator, it was dry. And I said to myself, that's strange. How is my chili? I put it in there fresh, but now I'm taking it out, it's dry. That's strange to me. How, how can something get dried up in a cold place? That is strange. But I've learned something that the strange things, the things that shock us can actually be educational. We can learn a lot from the strange things. Like right now, the pandemic is still going on. That is strange. People thought it would be over in a GIF but it ain't over, it's still with us. And that is, that is strange. But it is often in the strange things that we can learn some of life's greatest lessons. And I'm sure that you have had something strange happen in your life. You, you couldn't believe it, but yet it happened. And as you reflect on that strange experience, you're like, wow, I didn't see things like that, but now I see it like that. So there are life lessons in stranger things. That is a new series we're going to be beginning in the month of May. Life lessons from stranger things. This is an old series because we had this series actually last year. Pastor Sam was talking about stranger things. He talked about uh, blessed curses. He talked about death in the pot. He talked about faith being weird. And so what I'm doing is actually bringing you season two, because the Bible still has a lot more strange things for us to consider, to contemplate. And I think there are great lessons for us uh, to learn. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis, not Genesis, Exodus chapter four and verse number 25. It's a strange story, but this story is sandwiched between the calling and the commission of Moses and his arrival in Egypt. So we pick up the story in Exodus, the fourth chapter, and verse number 24. Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 24. I like that. 424. The word of God says, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment, at the campsite, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Strange, right? Very strange. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. Strange. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. It's another strange thing right there because we have a wife circumcising a son. And that's something that the husband should be doing, but the wife is doing it. That's, that's strange. And then she says, surely you are a husband of blood to me. That's also strange. So he let him go. God let him go. Verse number 26 then she said, you are a husband of blood to me because of the circumcision. This is strange things. 
Number one, God is on a war path seeking to kill a man who he has called. Not only that, his wife steps in and, you know, she saves him. And because of her act, that's, that's the only reason God lets him go. And she tells him probably a nasty remark right here. He says, you are a husband of blood to me. A very strange story, but it is in the word. I want to talk about the relative of blood this morning. The relative of blood. Uh, let us pray. God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please speak, speak, speak. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, this strange story has been discussed. It's been written about. Scholars have tried to uncover exactly what is going on right here. Number one, they say this text, this story is not in context. Because how can God call a man Putra and send him on a mission, but at the same time want to take him out? So the text does not fit the context. It is a text without a context, and we call that a pretext. Another uh, way scholars try to do and, and handle this text is they do <laughs> theological gymnastics. Uh, they say, you know what, this story is an etiology. Uh, when doctors want to find out the origin of a disease, they are doing an etiology. So this story is actually uh, an origin story of the rite of circumcision. It is representing uh, this rite, this ceremony. And typically scholars will say when we're dealing with an etiology, a story that talks about origin, it is a fable. It is not true. It's not real. It's, 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 it's fake. We shouldn't give too much emphasis or weight on it. And, and so scholars try to take away the tension of this strange story but I don't want to take away the tension of this strange story. I want us to go smack dab, go smack dab into the text. Why does God want to kill his man that he has called? Why is this going on? And I'd like to suggest to you that this is not an etiology. This is a true to life story because we have a man and his wife. The man is Moses, his wife is Zipporah, his firstborn son is Gershom, his secondborn son is Eliezer. They have been called by God as a ministry, as a, as a pastoral team, they are going out to serve God. They have packed up their belongings and they are on their way to Egypt. They don't have a grab car, they don't have a gojek, they don't have the conveniences of our time. They are using the best that their times could offer. They have packed their belongings on a donkey and they are on foot in a desert. They are moving from the east to the west. Median is in the east, they are going west to Egypt and they are moving and they get tired. And Moses decides as the leader of the, of, of the family, let us spend a night at this place. And so the text says, and it came to pass as they were moving, they came to an encampment. They, 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 they rested for the night and they get a visitor. This visitor is not an ordinary visitor. This visitor is God himself. And he doesn't come to them in the 
in an ordinary fashion. God has come to them. God has come to meet them. And he wants to take Moses out. Strange, right? You see, the word to meet in the original is, is, is strange because it describes a bear that has been robbed of her cubs. And if you know anything about bears, when they've been robbed, robbed of their cubs, they're very dangerous. You, you don't want to meet a bear that is robbed of her cubs. It is going to kill you. And so here the Bible is saying God has come like a bear that has been robbed of her cubs. God has lost something. Something has been taken from God. And the only person who can give it back to God is Moses. If it does not give it back to God, it's going to be a problem. If he doesn't handle his business, it's going to be a problem. He's going to pay for it with his life. You see, the Bible writers were cool with a God who can kill the Bible says God killed Ur for spilling semen on the ground. In fact, according to Deuteronomy, God says, There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. We should be cool, Gun, with a God who can kill. Now, that might make you uncomfortable, but I want us to be cool with a God who can kill. And here's the reason. God reserves the right to act with his own sovereignty. God deserves the right to act with autonomy. God reserves the right to do his own thing. And you know what I'm talking about right here. You know, we vice grip our sovereignty. Right? We, we love the idea that we can self-govern. We love the idea that we can make choices for ourselves. And when somebody tries to get in the way or tries to impinge or tries to step, with, to step on our sovereignty, we, tell, we yell out. We say, hey man, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want you and I to be comfortable with the idea that God gets to act based upon his sovereignty. God will not be told what to do. God should, you should be comfortable letting God handle his business in the way that he wants to handle it, even if the way that God wants to handle it is strange to you and I. I need you to understand that this story should not make us change who God is. This story should make us accept God for who he is. You are going to be better. You're going to experience a more richer experience in your faith if you accept God the way God is presented in the word of God. God is not going to change to fit your idea. Rather, God wants you to fit your idea based upon who he is. So we should be cool with a God who can kill. So the issue for me is not God wanted to kill, kill Moses. But the issue is why does God want to kill Moses? What has Moses done that God wants to take him out? We, we begin to see the reality of the situation is that Moses has forgotten or neglected or bypassed an important rite or ceremony. And the text reveals to us exactly what Moses didn't do, <laughs> what he didn't do. Uh, we read that 
Then Zipporah, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of a circumcision. Moses neglected the right of circumcision of his firstborn. Now, if God wants to kill Moses because he has neglected this right, it tells me that this is important. Now, you, you might say, Putra, oh, oh, mm, 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 mm. you, you might be like, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. God wants to kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his son? I mean, what, what's the big deal about circumcision? Why does God want to take his man out because he didn't circumcise uh, Moses? I mean, it's not a big deal. Uh, now, now, you see, I, I need us to understand that we should not estimate things based upon our perspective. We need to estimate things based upon God's estimation. If God says it's a big deal, then we need to also consider a big deal. And I get questions like this. What is wrong with this? What is wrong with that? I mean, for me, it's not a big deal. Hey, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you don't think it's a big deal. If God says it's a big deal, it's a big deal. Can we agree on that? If God says, this is big for me, this is an issue for me, whether I think it's a big deal or not, whether I, I feel like it's, it's something huge, it's not relevant. What matters is what God thinks. And I think that we have a generation of Christians who try to minimize what God maximizes. We have a generation of Christians who keep asking, what is wrong with this? What is wrong with that? Well, it doesn't matter what you think. It's what God thinks. And so for me, the fact that God wants to kill a man because he didn't circumcise his son tells me this is a big deal. Now, it might be strange to think that God wants to take out Moses because he didn't circumcise his son. But I, I want you to know that it was stranger because Moses is is not acting in the way he's supposed to act. You see, what is strange is not God wanted to kill him. It is actually strange because Moses has neglected to do this rite of circumcision. You see, for, for, for the Egyptians, circumcision was like pruning a tree. Now, when you prune a tree, you, um, you want the tree to be more fruitful. And typically, the Egyptians, they circumcised a male child, a, 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 a male person, just before they got married. In other words, they were saying, when you get married, we are expecting you, Gun, to have a lot of children to, for you to be fruitful. But for the Jews, circumcision was entirely different. A, a male child who was born a Jew was circumcised on the eighth day. So it had nothing to do with childbearing. It had nothing to do with having a lot of kids, it has something to do with identity. A Jewish young boy, when he was circumcised, was marked. 
And then, now, why, why did God say that God, a, a Jewish young boy, has to be marked in a very intimate area? Like, 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 why not give a Jewish boy uh, a, a, a tattoo? Right? People can see that. Uh, why not maybe tell a Jewish young boy, cut your hair a certain kind of way? Why cut him up where it was intimate, where it could not be seen? Uh, you see, circumcision represented a brand. You know, when you see uh, that check, that swoosh, you know that we're dealing with, with Nike. We, we're dealing with a shoe that, that is, is world class. When you wear Nikes, you, you can run for, for a long time. When you wear Nikes, you know, you, you have a certain standards, uh, status symbol. So, so a brand uh, represents uh, an identity of a, of a company. It, it tells uh, people what the company is all about. It tells people the, 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 the identity of the company. And so circumcision was God's branding over the Israelites. It was God's branding to help the, the, the people know and to distinguish the Israelites from everybody else. Yes, everybody else did circumcision, but God did it a different kind of way. And so when you said I'm circumcised, you're simply saying, Lord, I believe in the brand. I believe that I have made the best choice. I believe that my connection with you as God is the best choice that I can ever make. Uh, allow me to tell you that when you have chosen God, you have made the best choice. There's no better choice in your life than to choose God. And so when a Jewish young boy was circumcised, uh, they were saying, I am, I am, I'm a part of this. I, I believe in the program. And so when Moses neglected to circumcise his son, uh, he was actually denying the program of God. He was denying the brand of God. And it's possible to be a part of something but not believe in it. I watched a, a documentary uh, some time ago called Junk Food, Global Junk Food, how, Western, how the Western food industry is making poor countries fat. As I was watching this uh, documentary, I, I saw something quite fabulous. I discovered that a Big Mac in France will have about two grams of sugar. But the same Big Mac in India or Indonesia will have about 6.5 grams of sugar. That is almost triple the amount of sugar. The, the issue is this, that in France, there are regulations in place to regulate the amount of sugar, the amount of oil, the amount of fat that go into fast food. But in countries, third world countries like, like, like India and all developing countries like India or Indonesia, they are not those, those regulations. And the, the uh, companies have discovered the, the, the real thing that people are eating when they eat fast food, they're not eating for, for the nutritional value of the food, but they're eating the sugar, they're eating the fat, and they're eating the, the salt. And so the more you put in it, the more you're going to rake in the cash. And, and, and I was listening to this documentary, and there was a manager of a fast food restaurant in the documentary. You have to check it out. He said this. I know that the food is unhealthy, but I will not dare 
tell my customers that the food is unhealthy and I will not give this food to my own family. Here was a man who was, was a part of a thing but did not believe in the thing. He was in it but was not invested in it. And so when Moses did not circumcise his son, basically he's saying, I'm a part of the program of God, but I am actually not personally invested in it. And oh Lord, I know there are some of us who believe in God. We, we like religion. We like what God offers. We are a part of it, but we're not really invested in it. Our intentions are in it but our actions deny our intentions Moses is going to Egypt yes he's going to carry out the mission of God yes but his actions in in, in, in not circumcising his son are denying the program of God and so God says, no, 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 I cannot have a man who is going to lead my people. I cannot have a man who is going to bring my people out, yet he is not personally invested in my program. He hasn't put up the right kind of actions. He is going for me publicly, but he's denying me privately. Because God, Moses understood and God made it abundantly clear to the Israelites. And he told this to the patriarch of the nation, Abraham. He says to Abraham, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And the uncircumcised male child shall be cut off from his people. Basically, hear me carefully. God was not acting strange at all. He basically made it clear. If you don't circumcise somebody, I have a right to take him out. And if you're going to be a part of my program, you have to be invested in this thing. If anyone is not circumcised, then I'm going to be taken out. And so Moses made a mistake that many of us make. That is, he was serving God publicly, but denying him privately. Yes, he was on the go for God. He was going to do his mission. He was going to do his service. But at home... Every day that his son said daddy and daddy, it was a reminder to God that I'm using a man who doesn't believe in what I'm selling. I'm using a man who doesn't believe in my program. And listen to me carefully. You see, God is interested in your personal life as well as your public life. He cares how you handle your home life. He cares how you interact uh, intimately with people close into, to, to you. He cares how you, you, you handle uh, relationships. You see, God would rather you leave a gift at the altar. He would rather you not donate, but he would rather you go and fix a broken marriage. Go and fix a broken relationship. Go and fix a hurt. Go and fix a disappointment. Unfortunately, we live in a social media generation. It's all about what looks good. It's all about what's on the outside. But allow me to help you to understand that with God, it's not so much what's on the outside. With God, it's about what's on the inside. The Christian religion is an inward religion first, then outward. It's not what I do on the outside that matters with God. It's what I do in my heart. It's what I think about. It's what I do. What I do privately matters. Yeah, I know you're praying, but you're cheating on your wife. Let, let's handle that. 
I know you're preaching, but you don't give back your 10%. Let's handle that. Yeah, I know you went and did prison ministry, but remember how you talked to your your son or your daughter? Let's deal with that. Yeah, I I know you you want to go and, and preach. I know you want to travel the world. I know you want to post. I know you want to do that, but, but before we do that, let's take care of what's happening, what's happening privately. And unfortunately, we, we tend to neglect what's private and we focus on the public. We, we want people to, to look at us as we look good. We, we, we want to present a certain picture, but God says, ah, I don't care about none of that private uh, public stuff. Let's deal with the private stuff first. And here, I love God because God made sure that he, he gets Moses' attention at the right time. And you can say, wait, God, why didn't you tell Moses when Moses was, was when you were talking to him? Like, you convinced him and you, you spent time telling him, go to, go to Egypt. Why didn't you throw it in and say, you know what, Moses, before you actually start uh, going Going to Egypt, can you circumcise your, your sons at least so that at least we got that taken out and take, taken care of and then, you know, you can proceed. God could have done that, but it, would not have, it, it wouldn't have had the maximum impact that God wanted it to have. Because God wants to, to, to show us something very, very important that is happening right here. And I need you to get it. You see, Moses is on the way to Egypt. He has been called. And now he's on the way to Egypt. But God wants him to understand your calling and going for me is not as important as you uh, having the right relationship with me. It's not as important as you being in the right place with me. I would rather take you out than you go out for me. I'd rather you die than you to go out there because if you go out in this space, if you go out with this kind of situation, you're going to be more of a danger for me than a benefit for me because you're going to wreck my mission. You're going to destroy everything that I'm trying to do. And this is why God says, Moses, before I let you proceed, let's deal with your private life. Let's deal with what's going on at home. Let's deal with your son and the issues that you have not dealt with. The things that you are bypassing. And I'm glad that the COVID virus has somehow brought some of us together because we were running to the office. We were running to work. But now we have had to be at home and have to face each other and deal with it. God doesn't want you to bypass it. God wants you to deal with it. And we need to learn spiritually to deal with the issues. Lord, I, I messed up right here. Lord, it's not working out right here. Let me, let me, let me, let me handle it. God wants us to touch, to touch those issues, those soft issues. Hear me carefully. You see, when you are well with God privately, you are safe publicly. God is saying, Moses, I need to protect you first. Because if I don't protect you, the people you're going to meet out there, they're going to have issues with this. And this is what I need you to see because the real issue in this text is about the firstborn. And please get this. This is what's going to make the text come alive for you in a minute. You see, the real issue is this. God had called Israel his firstborn. And Moses delivered these words to uh, God delivered these words to Moses. He said to Moses, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son my firstborn. That is an amazing promise. So God looked at the whole nation of Israel as his firstborn. 
And this is what he says to Moses. He says, so I say to you, this is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. So I say to you, let my son go. Let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And that's the connection. That's the connection. God is willing to kill Pharaoh's firstborn, right? And we, we, in our text, we're introduced to God wanted to kill Moses. That is, that is the connection, right? So we have a promise on one hand. God says, Israel is my firstborn. But we have a threat on the other hand. God says, if Pharaoh gets in the way of my firstborn, I'm going to kill his firstborn. But now we have a problem that Moses has not circumcised his firstborn. Yes, he's being called to bring out Israel, the firstborn, but yet it's not Pharaoh who is the problem, who is, not a, who is a danger to the firstborn of, of, of Israel. It is in fact Moses who is a danger to the firstborn of God. Because Moses has not circumcised his son, he has therefore disqualified himself. And if he goes to Egypt and tries to bring out this firstborn, he cannot do it because he is not qualified for it. Allow me to tell you to you like this. You see, God sometimes will keep you from certain positions. He'll keep you from certain opportunities. He'll keep you from certain places because you are not qualified for it. You haven't put yourself in a situation that you can properly handle the advantage or the opportunity. And so God will hold you back and say, you know what? If I let you go, you're going to be a disaster. You're going to be a distraction. You're going to be a destruction. And therefore, I'm going to hold you back. Let's deal with your private life first. Before I let you go publicly. You see, Moses was failing the nation before he got there. And so God, in mercy, yes, he comes to, to Moses in a way that seems harsh. But God wants to... To help Moses to say that, that your private failures will have a public effect. One of the things that my mother always reminds me. He says, Henry, you're not an island. You're not an island. You have people connected to you. They are rooted in you. And your actions will affect those people that are connected to you. Yes, you sleep alone and you exercise alone and you study the Bible alone. You, you are an independent person. I, I get that, son. But know that your life is connected to others. You, you're connected to me as your mother. You're connected to your father. You're connected to your siblings. And you're connected to your church. You're connected to the ministry that you're doing. You're, you're connected to the people that you're serving. And the things that you do will not only affect yourself, but they will affect others. And we need to get this morning that our lives are not islands, but what we do privately will have a public effect. It is, it is true that your, your failings are what is affecting your, your family. Your failings are what are affecting uh, the friends that you have. Your feelings are what are affecting the people around you. And so therefore, we need to be careful that our private failures need to be fixed. So God says to Moses, Moses, you're not right, man. <laughs> I want to use you, but in this state, you are useless to me. Therefore, I want to 
I want to deal with your public failure. Uh, you see, it looks harsh. It looks strange for God to want to kill Moses. But, but I want you to see that how God reacted was, 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 was laced with mercy. <laughs> I, I love that. Right? He laced it with mercy because it says, and it came to pass at the encampment. You see, if God wanted to kill Moses, like take him out, he would have done it. Like, just like that. But God says he met him. You know when you, you want to meet somebody, you make an effort, and then you go out of your house, and you meet at a restaurant, right? You have made an effort. I want to meet you. You have made that effort. You see, God made effort. He could have just, from heaven, says, Moses, die. But no, God says, I'm going to come down. <laughs> I'm going to come down to his level. And I love that. I'm going to come down to his level, and we're going to have, we're going to deal with this situation. And God comes to Moses and meets him. He says, look, I want to take you out because you haven't done this. But if you resolve this situation, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to destroy you. And so even though it seems strange for God to want to kill Moses, yet he did it in a way that Moses would understand. God is not actually out to hurt me. God simply wants to fix me. God doesn't want to take me out. He wants to actually elevate me. And I need somebody to understand that this morning. God doesn't put things in your way to hurt you. God doesn't put things in your way to destroy you. God puts things in your way to say, you know what, son? daughter my, my, my child let's deal with this situation and he must do it in ways that gets our attention so I love this that God comes to Moses in a, in a way of mercy and the way that God did it is that God used his wife Zipporah you know it's a beautiful thing it was a beautiful thing when two people understand each other and just uh, looking at the situation, they can just, you know, they can just act. Here's Zipporah. I love this woman because as a stranger as she was, she was not an Israelite, she was a Midianite, she was a stranger. But as strange as she was, somehow she understood, my husband is in a difficult situation and I need to help him out. My husband is about to die and if I do not act upon his life, I will lose my husband. It's a beautiful thing when two people understand matters of faith. I just helped somebody right there. It's a beautiful thing when two people can get on their knees and pray to the same God. It's, two, it's a beautiful thing when two people can get together and say, you know what, Lord, we don't know how to handle this and they can handle it in prayer. It's a beautiful thing when two people understand the matters of faith that's another sermon for another day but this woman understood that unless I do something for my husband my husband is going to be taken out I'm going to lose my husband and so Zipporah Zipporah I love this woman Zipporah took a sharp stone in fact it was a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son that's what she did cut off the foreskin of our son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. And then notice what happens when she did that. Notice what happens. So he let him go. I, I want to believe that God had Moses in a chokehold. He, he had him in a situation that Moses, Moses couldn't get out of. Moses was incapacitated. But when his wife stepped in, she delivered him. God let him go because of the actions of this woman. And, and, and I wonder, do you have people 
that are like Zipporah in your life. People that will step up when you can't step up. People that will help you when you are helpless. People that will elevate you when you are down. People that will take you up when you feel like the world is caving in. People that are going to help you. I wonder if you have a Zipporah in your life. Or if people in your life are simply sucking life out of you. And instead of bringing you up, they're taking you down. But I'm glad here. A very strange situation. A woman who, a woman who is not supposed to be acting in this way. She's not supposed to be circumcising the boy, but she does it because she understands what's at stake. Do you have people in your life that understand what's at stake? They understand the importance of faith. They understand the importance of God in your life. They understand why you live the way you live. They understand why the standards you keep are the standards you keep. They understand why you talk the way you talk. They understand why you dress the way that you dress. Do you have people that are there to say, you know what? You didn't do it right this week, but I did it for you. You know what? You didn't pray this week, but I pray for you. You know what? You didn't want to go to church, but I went to church on your behalf. Do you have people like Zipporah in your life? People that are willing to elevate you. But I'm glad because of this woman's action, God let Moses go. Let him go. You see, when you repent, God relents. See, she fixed the situation. It was a touchy, sticky situation, but she fixed it. I don't know what made her do this, but I'm glad she did. You see, I need, I need somebody to hear me that the only sin that God will not forgive is the one that you not repent. That's the only one that he cannot, he cannot forgive. The one you do not repent of. The one you do not confess of. But the moment you, 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 you confess it, God relents. He lets you go. And I, I need you to understand that this morning. Uh, with God, the issue is not over until you say, you know what, Lord, I, I recognize it. I acknowledge it. You know, then God actually lets you go. And I'm glad that he had this, this woman to help him out. Uh, now, you see, when people look at this text, they, they, they say, wait a minute, uh, yeah, Zipporah, she, she circumcised the son, but she seems to have been upset. Because if you look at her words, she seems to have been attitude-y, <laughs> attitude-y, <laughs> putra, attitude she, she had an attitude. She was angry. She, she was mad because this is what she said. Surely you are, you are a husband of blood to me. This is what she said. She says, you are a husband of blood to me. It's like, it's like, it's like what she did was she, she, she took, she circumcised the boy. And then after circumcising the boy, she threw the foreskin at Moses' feet. And she says, you are a husband of blood to me. Like, man, you are, you are, you are a bad husband to me. She seems to have been angry. But I want to suggest that scholars have gotten her words a little bit wrong. Because the word translated husband or bridegroom, when she says you are a husband or a bridegroom of blood, the word actually relates to a relative through marriage. It is a word that describes son-in-laws, father-in-laws, daughters-in-laws. It's basically to describe a situation that a person has chosen a relationship. They are related to another human being because of marriage. So in reality, what Zipporah said, she said, you are a relative of blood to me. 
you you we 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 are now related on a different level you were my husband yes but now you are a relative by blood because blood has been shed you and i now are related in a in a in a different way and what she's basically saying had this blood not been shed, you would have been dead. Mm. And because I have stepped in, we are now relatives of a higher nature. You are now my relative. Blood has been spilled. I have saved you because of blood. You see, this is a, actually a beautiful story of the gospel story. Because we have a blood relative in Jesus. Because his blood was shed. He chose a relationship with us by the shedding of his blood. He relates to us not only as creator, but now he relates to you and I as brother and sister because of the blood that was shed. And even though we may have fallen short of his glory, like Moses has fallen short of the glory of God, even though there was a a death sentence on us sin put a death sentence on us God God through Jesus stepped in and he says you know what Lord I will step in for their mistake you know what Lord I will become a blood relative for them they have failed they have made a mistake but I'm going to step in for them I'm going to be their blood relative and I need somebody here to understand that Jesus doesn't look at you as a stranger Jesus doesn't look at you as somebody on the outside Jesus Jesus says, surely this is a blood relative for me. Surely this is my own blood. I say my blood. And I need somebody to hear that this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you see. I don't know what you feel. But Jesus looks at you and says, that is my blood. That is my relative. I have claimed him because I shed my blood. I have claimed him because I made the ultimate sacrifice. I don't need them to sacrifice themselves. I simply need them to accept me. I am their blood, blood relative. So in this strange story, Moses gets to learn that he has a blood relative. He needs blood in order to survive. And the only way that God could let it go is if there was blood. I want you to know that God has let it go. He has let it go. He has let go of your pornography. He has let go of your cheating. He has let go of your waste. He has let go of your gossip. He has let go of your bad choices because of the blood relative. He has, he has let it go, whatever it is. And he has, he's willing to let you go if you're willing to accept the blood relative. He's willing to let you go if you're willing to accept the blood relative, Jesus Christ. You see, accepting the blood relative is simply to say, you know what, I, 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 I can't do it on my own. I'm not capable. I've tried, but I'm incapable. His blood 
I, I, I need it. Stop, stop trying to be perfect by yourself. Jesus already shed his blood. Stop trying to be everything for everybody. Let Jesus do that. Stop trying to present a picture of yourself publicly that you're not privately. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's too much of a burden. Stop, stop facing and carrying the weight of rejection. Jesus already accepted you. Stop, stop wanting to be an influential person. Just, just trust God and, and, and let him impact your life. You have a blood relative. And I want to speak to somebody this morning. Perhaps you are in the shoes of Moses. You have neglected something that you should have done. But you realize today that, hey, I need to get it done. I need to do it. I've been neglecting something. I've, I've not done something. And there's a, there's, God is gunning for me. But today I realize that I, I want to get back to it. I want to I start doing it. I, I want to let it go. And I want to accept the blood relative on my behalf. Perhaps you are like Zipporah. And you know what needs to be done. You know how you need to step in. But you've been a little hesitant to step in. Today you can simply say, you know what, I'm going to step in. Uh, he's incapacitated. She's incapacitated. She cannot help us. I'm going to step in. Perhaps you are like the young boy whom because of the choice of Moses and his parents, he was not circumcised and, and, and he was put in a predicament and he couldn't do anything for himself and you are, you are depending on others to do something for you. I want you to know that you can look up to your blood relative and he can help you out. Jesus, our blood relative. And I want to embrace him this morning. How about you? Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for our blood relative or the relative of blood. We are glad that he stepped in where we could not step in. I thank you that he has touched us at places that we could not touch ourselves. I thank you that he helped us to, to rise up above our situation. Father, there's a Moses out there who listened to me today who's incapacitated. There is a Zipporah, Heavenly Father, who... Uh, needs to act and there is somebody who is needs somebody else to act on them it's just three different lives three different situations oh father that you know and i'm asking you father that you may step in for them and help them and give them the grace that they so desperately need oh father thank you oh lord for your kindness thank you oh lord for your love and we humbly pray all of this in jesus name amen god bless you i'm gonna see you very soon take care